Lynch, the Project on Middle East Political Science. Welcome back to the POMEPS podcast, our series of conversations with top scholars in the field. Uh, with us today is Ray Hinnebush of uh, St. Andrews, the University of St. Andrews. Um, Ray, welcome to the, the podcast. Thank you, Mark. So, uh, you know, you've been uh, researching and writing about uh, kind of international relations of the Middle East for, for a long time, and recently you've been doing some really interesting work on sectarianism and how it's emerging in this post-Arab uprising uh, situation. Tell us a little bit about how do, how do you think about the, this new wave of sectarianism? What's causing it, and uh, how significant do you think it really is in terms of reshaping mm-hmm. fundamental questions of regional order? Yeah. In terms of the consequences, which is the last part of your question, uh, it, it does seem to me that, it, that to the extent that the Sunni-Shia divide becomes hegemonic, um, it is very uh, exclusionary if one compares it to super or trans-state identities uh, that were instrumentalized by, by states competing for regional leadership hitherto, they would tend to be a more inclusive pan-Arabism or pan-Islamism. Uh, of course, uh, this did not, the use of these inclusive uh, identities did not uh, rule out competition. There was a lot of competition. Uh, but it, it tended to stay within limits, uh, with with few exceptions. You, you didn't kill the opponent. Uh, whereas, uh, to the extent we've seen sectarianization, and and not just the instrumentalism, instrumentalization of sectarianism, but uh, additionally, it's seeping down to to the grassroots level. It seems to me it's having a profound effect. Uh, you've got the bipolarization of the regional system between Sunni and. Uh, and, and, and uh, Shia powers, uh, which debilitates um, the Arab League, for example, um, and really opens, opens the region to penetration from the outside increasingly. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, perhaps even more uh, damaging, sectarianism tends to fracture, fracture uh, internally uh, sectarian societies. So it's extremely da- dangerous. Um, just compare that to the way Arabism, Arab nationalism, pan-Arabism, was, was used to, to integrate the various Arabic-speaking minorities who previously perhaps felt excluded, but now uh, if Arab identity was the common identity, then it didn't matter whether you were a Sunni or a, uh, an Alawi or a Druze, uh, you were included in the community. Of course, uh, that uh, ignores the fact that uh, Arabism did, to some extent, exclude Kurds. Um, but generally speaking, it's in my view, as compared to the to the current bipolarization along sectarian lines, it, it was a more integrating, inclusive identity. So I think it's very damaging. Com- compare this the sectarianism we see now. How does it compare to the kind of sectarian politics that we saw, say, a decade ago? When the Iraqi civil war was raging, and you know, is, is what we see now qualitatively different from what we saw then? We've, we've always had uh, various aspects of sectarianism, particularly in the multi-sectarian societies. They often remain banal or unpoliticized, or they were instrumentalized uh, by groups or individuals uh, as ways of accessing resources through clientelist networks, 
So sectarianism could be a way of access, uh, of wasta. Mm -hmm. uh, or they were used by regimes uh, to create trusted cores of in-groups. Uh, that worked as long as this was balanced uh, by sort of counter-strategies that would contain sectarianism by being more inclusive, bringing people in uh, to, to regime institutions uh, on a more inclusive basis. And that seemed to work, it was robust. Uh, it does seem to me as though the invasion of Iraq is a kind of watershed uh, where things went very badly wrong because you had the destruction of a state, which leads to, to civil war and the kind of attempted reconstruction of a state along uh, institutionalizing sectarianism. This is resisted, uh, and you have uh, a kind of intersectarian violence, uh, tit for tat, and um, that doesn't immediately spread, but I think it, 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 it generates uh, in the public sphere, through the media, etc., increased sensitivity to sectarianism, so that if you got a similar situation to what you saw in Iraq, namely a, fa a failed state, uh, where people uh, can't depend on the state for security, so they fall back on their sectarian group, an armed sectarian group, where, where possible. Uh, if you had sim a similar situation, then you, you would get the, the replication of the uh, of the Iraqi disaster, and of course we have seen that, in, in, uh, particularly in Syria, and one could say in some respects in, in Yemen. It hasn't spilled over yet, remarkably, to, to Lebanon, but Lebanon's obviously under, under stress. Libya is a little bit different. You've got a failed state uh, where the parties aren't so much organized along sectarian lines, but it's still a sub-state identity, tribal. Uh, but you do have, of course, the um, the phenomenon of, uh, of Al-Qaeda IS taking advantage of this. Mm -hmm. that, that's another uh, factor which, which has to be linked right back to, to the invasion of Iraq because it created this environment where Al-Qaeda could recover its stature mm -hmm. and it's never looked back since then. You've been, you've been studying and writing about Syria for many years and the, the, the degree of sectarianism and sectarian violence which emerges over the course of the Syrian uprising and, and subsequent insurgency, now, do, does this surprise you? Does this seem like something which is fundamentally new or do you see this as deeply rooted in Syrian society or the nature of the Syrian state? I don't think it's rooted in, in society. Obviously there are sectarian divisions, but they would often remain banal. Uh, non-politicized. People have many identities. Sect might be only one identity. People, for quite a long time, uh, embraced Arab nationalism uh, as a kind of inclusive identity. Uh, there were cross, uh, the, the, the sort of the radical middle class parties which arose in the 50s and 60s uh, were cross-sectarian. They, they incorporated people on a sort of class basis uh, against the oligarchy. And, and so that demonstrates to me quite, quite clearly that, that sectarian identities don't have to be the most salient. They can be subsumed in others. So uh, what went wrong? Well, one could argue that the, the, the construction of the Ba'ath regime in which sectarianism was instrumentalized to create this kind of trusted elite core was a, mo a move in, in the wrong direction, although perhaps inevitable, mm -hmm. uh, because uh, given the insecurity of power struggles, 
uh, consolidating regimes everywhere seems, in the Middle East at least, seems to, to take the form of these neo-patrimonial neo uh, practices where the leader has to find people that he can trust, and this will tend to be from, not always, uh, it, it could be people from your military academy. So Saddam goes with the Kretis and Bashar goes yes. with Alawis. In the Egyptian case, it said that uh, Nasser went with people from his military academy, mm -hmm. uh, so it doesn't always have to take this primordial form, but there has to be some sense of trust, it seems. But if that is allowed to go too far, if it, it means excluding everybody else, then obviously you're creating a kind of grievance sectarianism. To some extent, this was contained under Hafez, under Bashar, uh, because for various reasons he felt the, the need uh, to adopt uh, certain aspects of, of neoliberalism, which, as everywhere in the Middle East, turns into crony capitalism. Uh, the result was that you had increasing inequalities. Uh, the regime started to abandon its historic constituency among the peasants, including Sunni peasants. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then that terrible drought in which the, the, the East was kind of left to fend for itself uh, sent all, it all sent the message that some people are getting rich, the rest of us are suffering, and it all, it's all because of sect. Huh? So that was very, very dangerous as to the extent that the, the regime is shifting its base from the party, a cross-sectarian institution, to the family and the sect. Uh, it's becoming vulnerable to, to the, the uprising. Uh, and of course... Um, it, it was then when the uprising breaks out, the fatal decision is made by uh, Bashar al-Assad to uh, try to fight this through sectarianism. And after a while, this produces its, its counter-reaction on the other side of Sunni jihadism. Uh, so you have the, the two parties uh, instrumentalizing sectarianism, but there's still a lot of people in the middle. The original protesters uh, attempted a cross-sectarian movement uh, for a long time, fighting against this tendency on both sides to sectarianize and to arm. But as the violence increases, it seems you've got this, and, and the state uh, ability to, to, to deliver security and order. As this contracts, then uh, you do have a, a, a people increasingly uh, turning to their sect for protection or as a way of fighting. How, how do you weigh the relative importance of these internal dynamics in terms of driving the sectarian term mm -hmm. against uh, the, the push from outside, Iran and Hezbollah mm -hmm. getting involved yes, and yes. kind of turning the regime increasingly into something seen as Shiite rather than, even not even as Alawi anymore, it comes to be seen as Shiite mm -hmm. in this regional political sense. And then, of course, on the, on the Gulf states, you know, advancing a sectarian narrative, mm -hmm. turning the insurgency or the opposition into something which is Sunni. Um, you know, so you've got those external drivers, but then mm -hmm. you've got what you've been talking about, which are these deeper yeah. legacies of, of, of the nature of the state. How do you yeah. balance those in terms of what's causing this extreme form yeah. of sectarianization? Well, I would, I would hypothesize... Uh, that the, the impact of the external variable was, was to tip the balance towards state failure. Uh, that is to say, um, without the arming of, uh, of fighting groups, again, anti-regime fighting groups, the regime would have probably been able to sustain its control over the territory. There would have been a lot of repression. It would have looked like Egypt. Uh, that is kind of mm -hmm. authoritarian restoration in a way. Uh, the outside factor so empowers uh, 
um, the opposition in, t in terms of providing them resources, uh, men, fighting men, uh, but particularly arms, and importantly, anti-tank weapons, which neutralizes the ability of the Syrian army to maintain control over, over its territory. There's where you get the failed state. It seems to me, uh, I, don't I don't want to say that the outside created the problem, the, the, the initial vulnerability is internal, but you'd have had a different outcome, it seems to me. Probably uh, sectarianism uh, wouldn't have become the, domi the dominant uh, discourse and uh, the whole region might, might look different. So in, th in this respect, I, I sort of agree with your assessment that Obama was right, uh, that you, you will make things worse by intervening in these kinds of conflicts. And, and I think the, in the intervention did make it worse. Obviously, had things gone differently and uh, there'd been a triumphant march on Damascus by, what, uh, Democrats? Not likely. Right. Probably have been Islamists. So you'd have had a different, but also very sectarian outcome. So this kind of sectarianism then, you know, if, if you see this as emerging uh, through these conflict processes um, and also through the, you know, the, the earlier consolidation within the state, do you see this now as something which has become so deeply held and fixed that it's going to be, you know, for all practical purposes, an essentialized reality for, for the coming, you know, for the foreseeable yeah. future? Is it possible to ratchet yeah. the sectarianism back, or has it yes. gone so far that we just, it just, you can't turn the clock back anymore? Just to look at, at Syria, putting Iraq aside for the mm -hmm. moment, uh, it does seem to me that in some ways uh, the Pandora's box has, has been opened. But if one looks at what has generated sectarianism, then one can ask, well, can some of this stuff be reversed? Uh, one thing that could be reversed is the uh, intervention, uh, competitive interference uh, by external powers instrumentalizing sectarianism. If they lay off, that would help. Mm -hmm. The other would be if the, to the extent that sectarianism is a response to the security dilemma where people feel there's no order and have to depend on their armed uh, sectarian groups. Uh, if you were able to establish a ceasefire, some kind of balance of power between the regime and the opposition, uh, where gradually you, you had this, the spread of some order, then it seems to me that might open space uh, for uh, the moderates to, to, to come back. Huh? Uh, when you're not fight, uh, fighting, uh, seems to empower the likes of Jabhat al-Nusra uh, on the one side and uh, uh, sectarian militias, uh, uh, pro-regime sectarian militias on the other side. So if you stop the fighting, that, that would help. Uh, on the other hand, uh, in any kind of reconstruction, you're obviously going to have a terrible competition for scarce resources, and I can easily imagine it's going to take sectarian forms. But they might not be violent ones. In other words, groups might be organized to compete for scarce resources along sectarian lines, but it could, it could be a peaceful competition. So I think that, I don't think, uh, I think people still have many identities. The sectarian one is perhaps salient at present. There is the, there is the risk, a new generation will, will be brought up with only that one. Uh, but clearly there are other potential identities, Syrian, Arab, uh, Sufi. I mean, there's there's many many that that could, that uh, 
that are in some ways in, co in competition, uh, and they could they could come back in a, in a period of reconstruction and peace. It seems to me that's what we have to hope. Well, it's, it's good to end with some hope. I want to thank uh, Ray Hinnebush of the University of St. Andrews. Uh, thanks for joining our program. Thanks very much.